3: And on this episode, we take a look back at the CBC's seven part series, Uncover Escaping Nexium. The distinctive Canadian presentation style takes on an alleged sex cult. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast and emergency contact on my travel forms, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Rebecca. Do you think Are- we can call it alleged still? I don't think we can anymore yeah. now that uh, Keith Rainier has been convicted.
1: Well, we'll just see what happens. There. All
3: right, so Kevin, tell us about our October 2018 review of Uncover Escaping Nexium.
1: Yeah, as you said, this is uh, from the CBC, and I think this is the first. Is this the first Uncover? It is that we we uh, we covered anyway. Yeah, this was the year of the cult. Yes, 2018. We had just done. Wild Wild Country and at least one of the Bikrams. And so that was kind of on our mind as the four of us started to listen to this podcast. But I think, you know, I'll tell you, you remember we were kind of blown away with, uh, you know, with the opening story here. That's
3: right. And I believe that, isn't it, Sarah Richardson's the primary source for this podcast?
1: Well, let's go and dig into that. Let's not give it all away all right, right now. All right, all right.
3: All right. Let's just take a listen. All right. Now we're going to talk about a seven-part podcast that's pulling a lot of people in. It's called Escaping Nexium, and it's under the showcased podcast brand Uncover by the CBC. And then she comes in and says, I want to introduce you to your sisters. You can take your blindfold off.
4: Over the past few months, I've been investigating Nexium, a bizarre self-help group led by someone who calls himself the smartest man in the world. How he won the endorsement of actors, politicians and even a visit from the Dalai Lama, how he spent millions of dollars to destroy his detractors, and how he created a harem of devoted women.
3: The podcast follows host Josh Block as he unpeels the layers of a story told to him primarily by his childhood friend Sarah Edmondson, a Canadian actress and high-profile escapee of an organization called Nexium, that is spelled, by the way, N-X-I-V-M, all capital letters, Prosecutors are making the case that Nexium is a creepy, financially fraudulent sex cult, but those under the spell of leader Keith Renier call it a successful business built around transformative self-help principles and apparently branding. <laughs> Not the good kind, the scary, hot, pokery brand kind. Now, spoiler alert, we will be talking significantly about plot points in Escaping Nexium*. So check the show notes if you haven't listened yet and just want to hear our thumbs up, thumbs down review. We will put a time code there. Uh, First off, you know, I love talking about the style of production of these podcasts. I'll just start out there. I love the likability of Josh Block. I think he's an incredibly appealing host, writes well for himself, delivers it well, I love the amazing Battlestar Galactica-esque theme song of this podcast. <laughs> and I love his varying pronunciations of the city of Albany. I think he pronounces it like 17 different times in the show. I find that all- its kind of like my name.
4: Yeah, it's just going there, yeah.
3: Very appealing. Anybody else with me on the enjoying Josh Block and his delivery and persona train on this podcast? Toby, did you like the guy as much as I did?
5: I don't know if I liked him as much as you did with Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he was good. He was good. I listened to it like in one- like on a long car ride. Mm. I just like went one after the other. So yeah. it was like having him in the in the passenger seat.
3: Laura, you like Josh Block as much as I do? I do. All right, good. Now, Kevin, I want to ask you a question. Because mm-hmm. we talk a lot about journalism and sourcing on the on the show. And while this podcast does tell a larger story in seven episodes, there's a primary source here, and it's Josh's personal friend, Sarah Edmondson. And much of the podcast, I don't want to give it like a percentage. Well, okay, I'm going to. I want mm-hmm. to say like maybe 60 to 70 percent of what we hear on the show is literally just her telling him stuff. Uh, you know, as a journalist, I kind of think like that's not the way you would typically do it. Mm-hmm. But it also feels kind of dishy and good. What did you think of the style of, of the way that he got the story and, and it was the way it was sort of put together? For
4: some reason, it works in the, the first couple of episodes when we hear Sarah, we, one of the things that we don't like to hear in podcasts are these too long of a soundbite answer you know kind of thing without any context kind of running on too long but sarah's story was just so compelling so interesting that you could just let her go and talk for four or five straight minutes and cry cry and
3: cry
0: i have to tell people because it has to be stopped
3: and cry
4: It isn't until, I don't know, was it like maybe the third episode where they really start bringing in other people? There were a couple – you heard a couple other voices previously, but it really wasn't more of a balanced storytelling technique till a little later on. Yeah. Um, Many of the episodes are different, so I don't know if that makes it uneven, but there are definitely episodes that I liked better. Some were not the texture of the rest of it. Yeah. But – I think that the beginning was really, really strong because of Sarah and her personal story and the and, way she told it
3: and her relationship with Josh, which well, I mean, I guess that benefits her candor was certainly higher. I think I, it been I right. suppose,
4: but I, I I think if she told the same story to you, I don't think it's any less uh, right. I- impactful because you didn't go to summer. Camp with her.
3: I thought it was dishy. I don't know. I liked it. Uh, I want to talk about sort of the cult aspect of the story. Now, Toby, I got a Twitter DM from our friend Michal, who also sent me a Twitter DM for last week's show that I did not include. So I'm going to include hers this week because she said uh, basically something that I was thinking. She said, I feel like a bad person for saying this, but I am almost pissed off by the fact that Keith Rainier is masquerading as some genius when he blatantly ripped whole chapters out of the Scientology playbook. (laughs) Come on, dude. Reincarnation, fixing the world, code names, levels, suppressives. At least come up with your own cult, she says. Toby, what do you think as our resident cult expert? Is this cult just a ripoff of every other cult we've heard about so far?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think there's obviously Scientology. um, And then I think there's like Est, and he talks about the human potential movement and things like that. I mean, it, it, it seems like sort of a mishmash of sort of stuff you would have picked up in California in like the 70s and 80s. So yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. He would defend himself by saying, well, you know, I'm synthesizing all the like best parts of all of these things and, and into something that's that's a greater whole. But yeah, I mean, I think he, you know, he's cribbing stuff from here and there and kind of tossing it together in a different, slightly different way.
4: Well, of course he ripped off Scientology. His first business, he also ripped off Amway. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So he basically takes you know something that he knows and makes it his own. And yeah, the parallels to Scientology are are obviously there. I think the the difference is that Scientology is a cult run as a business, and his ESP is a business run as a cult. Hmm. They have so many different crossovers. But I think right. I mean, they were sort of honest. I'm not honest, but you know, the positioning was kind of like, okay, all of you ladies, come on in and give me your money, and we're gonna. (laughs) He
6: you put know. it on. Right.
5: <laughs> well, that that first thing that he was doing, and I can't even remember what it was, but it was- Consumer some or something, little, yeah. The buying yeah, club. Some little, yeah. And, and then he, some woman says to him, she's like, you're the smartest man in the world and you're doing this? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, just for a little while until you know, <laughs> I get my feet underneath me.
3: So, Laura, one of the interesting aspects of this story is the way- I mean, this is what I hear. I hear feminism and a lot of code words around women and women in particular being targeted by this guy and this NXIVM. I mean, they they create this sort of sub-brand DOS, this like, quote, women's Mm. empowerment group. And then you hear in like a lot of the philosophy that they're espousing in these courses, you know, you hear Sarah telling stories about how she's sort of trained to say things like, you know, women, we're just too wrapped up in our emotions you know, women, we just need to get over ourselves. And just If we could just be more, like, sort of using the language of feminism in a negative way to sort of tell women that they shouldn't be women, they should be something different, but yet they're still women and they're empowered. And the way they express this is to bring them into this club and brand them? What do you what think what of that fuck? whole thing, Laura? Yeah, so
6: I have to say... um, that was the first episode, and what a way to start off a podcast series. Wow. It was probably one of the more, more horrific things I think I've listened to in a podcast, mm. this description, because I, she's talking about the cauterizing iron and that one of the women that's there is a freaking doctor who's doing this to these people, and they're all standing around Holding this person down. I'm like, I was waiting for somebody to give her a stick to bite on or something. I mean, it was just like so out
3: of. I had never heard anything like this. Quick question, Laura. Did you wonder, like I did, why they had to use this like drawing pencil and why they couldn't just like go into the Sky Mall catalog and buy one of those <laughs> personalized brands that they sell like for steaks uh-huh. and you can design yourself? Wouldn't that have been easier than drawing yeah. it by hand every time?
6: I think this was part of just the insanity of this yeah, whole thing. Yeah. But this, this was the part is I felt like this podcast started off really strong with this extremely compelling description of what this was like, what it was like for her when she got there. And she's basically trying to just like hold it all in to set a good example. And I'm like, oh, my God, you are so brainwashed right now. Uh, for me, after this like out of the gate bang, it kind of dropped off. And I was like, eh, it's just like another cult now. Mm-hmm. Like, OK, there's some crazy guy in charge. He's g- taking your money you have to do what he says, and you have to have sex with him. I'm like, this kind of sounds like other ones we've listened to. <laughs> but but the branding thing was just, oh, my God. Yeah, um,
3: yeah just, I, I can't even imagine. There were a couple things that did remind me of some of the Scientology reporting and Scientology insights we've gotten from, like, Leah Remini and so forth. Mm-hmm. One of them was the whole collateral thing. Reminded me very much of the auditing process in Scientology. Because auditing, you know, she says on that TV show she makes, is really about... People saying shit they don't want other people to know, and right. blackmail, blackmail them yeah. with the auditing material, and that's what this collateral thing was. But it's much more blatant, though. Yeah, like literally, this was the laziest system. At least with auditing, like you have to pay for it; it takes many, many hours, and they draw you in.
4: Yeah, Scientology—they they don't say, "Hey, can you get naked?" And this is lazy. Pick up your thighs, and yes. yeah, this, this
3: cult is lazy. This is- they're like, you have to give us collateral so that we you'll never tell anybody what we're doing. That's fucking lazy.
5: But that's not for everybody, right? That's just for like getting into this like super secret inner circle oh. das, yes. yeah. empowered women and stuff. Yes. I mean, I think that's always that should be the warning sign
3: <laughs> you think? is if
5: you're in a cult and they're like, Well, do you wanna join the like inner circle and learn all the secrets? It's secret. And uh, and that's the point which you should say no. It's all good
3: right here. (laughs) On Leah Remini's TV show, when she talks about reaching that level where they actually learn, like, the origin story of Scientology. And she was a true believer up until that point. And she actually hears a story and she's like, this is batshit crazy. She's like, that was the moment. So,
5: Who's it? Paul Haggis? The big uh, New Yorker (laughs) article about it. And he's like, yeah, you go into this room and there's this box and it's got a piece of paper in it. You pull it out and it's about like. Giants living in volcanoes and (laughs) stuff. And he's like, at first I thought it was like some kind of like, was it a test? Like, are they trying to see like how you're going to react to this and, and how am I supposed to react to it?
6: I was kind of hoping for something like that here. That there's something a little more compelling to have made people believe that, yeah, this is a cool idea to brand ourselves. It was a lazy I mean,
3: cult, Laura. It was lazy. they just they, I, <laughs> I, I feel like they needed a better philosophy. I'm just thinking. I think they just went in hard with the money. Like you made a lot of yeah. money when you were at this level. And so therefore the philosophy just could be, you know, what it really reminded me of even more like so than some of the cultures it reminded me a lot of that 30 for 30 yoga thing the Bikram thing we heard about yeah yeah, yeah. because the whole Absolutely. business aspect like you'd, you'd go back to your own town and so you'd set up your own school and you'd teach people and you'd be certified and you'd charge them for classes and if they said they couldn't afford it you would say well you can't afford not to do it Yeah. it reminded me a lot of that I mean that kind of yeah. kept popping up for me over and over again when I was thinking about it um it was kind of like, See, i, I say like multi-level marketing Yeah, crossed on empowerment,
6: crossed on, oh yeah, and this guy who's in charge wants to have sex with everyone.
3: <laughs> and he's not even that attractive. You're really, I just hung I mean, up like, on that, Laura. Is that a problem for you that he wants to have sex with everyone? I
5: well,
3: think that's the <laughs> whole thing. Yeah.
6: i yeah. like,
5: what? I, I, I honestly, I think this whole thing is basically set up so he can sleep with lots of women.
4: Oh,
6: and I, nice I think, work if you I think can get it. He, he's
0: got the secret I think it, woman. I think
5: it I think it gets tipped, like, when they talk about, I can't remember, it was like, his sister or his mom or something hears him on the phone right. when he's, like, yep. 14 or 15, and he's, like, talking to all these different girls and saying, you know, there's a special connection, and you're special, and all this stuff. And she's, like, he's literally saying this to, like, 10 different girls. Yeah. I, and I don't know if I, I brought this up in a different context, but I was reading this uh, article about Harvey Weinstein, and this guy was saying there's this impression that, like, Weinstein – like wanted to make movies, and once he started doing that, he got access to these beautiful women, and that was when he started abusing them. He's like, Harvey Weinstein made movies because he wanted access to women. Right. Like that was the goal all along. Maybe that wasn't everybody else's impression, but that was my sense of of what his prime motivation was, and that was what kind of made him so kind of lazy and, (laughs) you know, just, just like grabbing stuff. He's like, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this <laughs> other shit, so I'll grab it from these different places, yeah. find the stuff that seems to pull people in, and and, and kind of hold on to them, and, and we'll go from there.
3: Yeah, it was definitely like a, a processed food uh, of cults. <laughs> now, I'm going to go around the <laughs> horn and ask you each to react to something, each different things that I heard in the podcast. I would love to get your thoughts Laura Bricker, because I think this is something that you might try, what do you think of the scene where Josh tried to sneak into the uh, that Nexium office or ESP <laughs> office in Brooklyn or wherever the hell he was, and he really just walked in the door and, and, and tried to get in that way? Yeah, I've totally done stuff like that, <laughs> um, where he's just
6: like, the door's open, I'll keep walking, and then he comes in and he kind of's like, hey, uh, is this the place? And she's like, who the hell are you? And he's just like well, my friend told me to come here. Who's your friend? Like, I totally would have I loved it. I was like, come on, get in. And I'm like, no, don't get in. They're not going to let you leave. They're going to brand you for crying out loud. But yeah, I I did
3: enjoy that scene. That was kind of fun. Kevin, what did you think of Sarah and Nippy's plan to go hard and blow that shit up by having videotaped tantrums in very public places?
4: I thought that was brilliant. (laughs) I thought that was great because, yeah, it really... um, just put them on blast right yeah. in the middle of the uh, whatever the conference or hotel. I forget where they were at this gathering. I think was.
3: they were like one of Keith's stupid birthday things, weren't they, or something?
4: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> playing volleyball.
3: <laughs> and Toby, that was my question for you. I mean, I don't know who the person you admire the most in the world is. But imagine you did admire somebody as much as Sarah admired Keith there for a while. Would you go to a month-long birthday party for that person for 12 fucking years in a row?
5: I would go to anybody who has a month-long birthday party. <laughs> Sign me up, man. That sounds awesome. My favorite part of the—well, I think I said another part was my favorite part. But another one of my favorite parts was uh, was when she's talking about how Keith was sleeping with all these women and, like, making approaches to him. She basically says, like, she didn't believe it because he hadn't put a move on her. And she looks like looks at the other people who he's trying to sleep with and was like, well, he would totally try a move on me, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs>
3: yes. Yeah.
5: I'm an
4: eight. She's a four.
3: Kevin, another quick thing to respond to. Uh, turns out Keith's lawyer was also Martin Shkreli's lawyer. Surprised? <laughs> oh,
4: uh, I'm no, I'm not surprised. I'd love
3: to know what you think of that lawyer. I'm actually, it's something I want to talk about. I think it was fascinating.
4: He, I thought he did very well by I his hi- clients. Yeah. I would
3: hire him to defend me in a second. Yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if that means that I would, you know, exonerate the, uh, you know, acquit the uh, the guy if I were on the jury. What, you don't
3: think it's a but, cuddle cult, not a sex cult? Cu-
4: hey, you know, I mean, <laughs> we have seen on television this year some really impressive TV lawyers. Yes. And uh, I think he's just very good at, at his job. He ends up making a very strong case for his, his client. And that's what everyone's entitled to like it or not.
3: He was like the Michael Avenatti of cult offenders. Like he did Mm. not mind being a whole episode of this podcast. Laura, what what did you think of his access there to that? This lawyer for, for Keith Renee? Are you surprised that this guy was willing to sit down and be a whole episode of the podcast? No, I thought, you
6: know, I know a lot of people, a lot of people in my rage, um, walking group were like really enraged by this guy and like, Oh, you better watch out when you get to him. And I was like, he's a defense lawyer. He's doing his job and he he did it in such a way so he's not confrontational with the reporter. He's not being an ass to the reporter. He's advocating for his client and yeah, okay, um, the cuddle cult, that's totally ridiculous. He said some shitty
3: things while advocating for his client but that's what you want when you have a defense lawyer. He did lawyer. but he was doing his job but then I really loved how he's
6: like trying to like frame Keith and his, his like visits with him in jail where he's just like, he's just on a different plane and like he's so smart and when I talk to him, And he's just, he's not interested in the case because he's talking about all this other, he's just in a different place. Like he's trying to like create this persona, perpetuate this persona that Keith himself has started. But I, I thought he did a good job. And I thought that in the way that he did it, yeah, it was like ridiculous. But at the same time, you're like, okay, yeah, you know, look at, look at your other clients. Obviously you're good at what you do.
3: I want to point out one particularly shitty thing he said on behalf of his client that certainly got my attention And I'm not saying I agree with him when I say he's a good lawyer. I'm saying he's a good lawyer, but this was a super shitty thing that he said.
4: Women want to be in a secret group and want to be branded. And all of a sudden we're very quick to say, oh, poor dears, they must be victims because no, no right thinking free willed woman would ever want that for herself. And I think that's sexist. And I think the government is playing into a sexist agenda, you know, Men do these things, we call them Marines. You know, women do these things, we call them victims, and I think that's offensive.
6: (laughs) Yeah,
3: that was that was kind of ridiculous
6: to put
2: it mildly. I forgot about
3: that part. I think I blacked it out. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, in the final episode of this podcast, we hear Josh, you know, get some pushback from his friends who also know Sarah about Sarah. She's now given interviews to the New York Times. She's become like a media figure around this. People know there are, you know, potentially like movies in development about this. She's, you know, seen some success. She's living in a nice apartment now because of the money that she made. And I think he very impressively pushes back on her. Like he doesn't he doesn't say, what if people want to know, blah, blah, blah. He says, do you think you should give the money back? What do you think? I think he does a nice job pushing back on her. And there's a really gross scene, of course, in which she blows her nose, which I didn't need to hear. But (laughs) that episode does make me think a little bit about landing differently, perhaps, on how I feel about Sarah. Toby, where did you land on Sarah when this is all said and done? Was she a victim? Is she a little bit of an opportunist with her redemption story or somewhere in between? What do you think?
5: I mean, I think she's complicated. And I think she's also, I think she's one of those people, I I don't want to make this sound meaner than I mean it, but- (laughs) It, it seems as though she feels like she's a deep thinker without really thinking about much. I mean, I think she.
3: <laughs> no, I get you what you're putting down. It came out was kind of funny. <laughs> I get what you're putting it, down, Toby. She's an actress too. I mean, that's something I think it's important to consider in all of these scenes, right?
5: Right, but you know, she's like, I went on the boat and I was, you know, I wanted to find out. You know, I wanted to like, I can't remember exactly what she put it, but basically, she wanted to to find herself or or not even find herself, but find somebody who could help her find herself. And then at the end, you know, these questions that should be really, really troubling her. I got out of this thing, but I pulled a whole bunch of people in it and I built them out of a lot of money. And that's the kind of thing I think most people would be haunted by. And then she gets asked about, she's like, uh. Uh, well, you know, it's I like... I
3: see it both ways. <laughs>
5: yeah. It's like, this is the kind of stuff, like, if you were as thoughtful and introspective as you'd like to portray yourself, like, this shit should be eating you up. Mm. It shouldn't be up to Josh to, like, bring this stuff up to you and be like, oh, hmm, hadn't thought about that. Well, yeah. Well, maybe. I don't know.
3: Well, the one thing that really struck me was that when she was talking about her culpability in recruiting people... She talked about being a great salesperson, and then she talked about the sales tactics that she didn't do, and then she recited them, and I was like, oh, you totally did that sales tactic. You can tell. She's just so good at it. And I'm not saying she's not a victim. I think she is, but I agree with you, Toby, that maybe the waters don't run as deep as, as she likes to pretend that they do. Laura, what do you think? Where did you land on Sarah at the end of the podcast?
6: I was kind of ambivalent about Sarah in a way because in the beginning, like I said, the first episode I felt extreme compassion and sympathy and horror hearing the branding scene. And then listening to this sort of, "Mm, you're not quite as innocent in all of this as you think you might be Hmm. in a way. I mean, yes, she was obviously a victim and she got sucked in. So I kind of came down. I was like, hmm. I couldn't really feel strongly one way or the other because there was, you know, on both sides things that changed
3: how I felt about her. So the way you feel about Sarah is the way she feels about herself at the end of the podcast, <laughs> pretty much. I'm
4: exactly with Laura. Yeah, that. yeah. I felt very much like at the you know, in the beginning that she was, uh, uh, you know, horribly victimized by the system, and at the end you wonder that you don't you don't change your mind that she was a, a victim, having been branded and gone through all the other things that she went through. But I feel like. I'm left to wonder more about her culpability and other actions. Yes. And I
3: think Josh is too, which I think is a very good thing to include in the podcast. I have one other quasi negative thing to say about Sarah, even though I think she comes off pretty well in the podcast. Mm -hmm. She seems far more concerned about this little scar in her body than she does about what she did to other people. She talks about that an awful lot. Like there's something on her otherwise perfect body Mm -hmm. that wasn't there before. And you know what, though? Like, you're fine otherwise. I mean, you're traumatized. Obviously, she's not fine. I don't mean that. She's got PTSD. Things are not great with her marriage. We know all of that. But she's alive. She's moving forward in her life. She's going through some sort of redemptive process. And she's way more hung up on that than she is on the broader impact on her community, which was like, it stuck out to me a little bit.
0: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
1: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
2: Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until...
1: The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m.
2: The office was shocked...
1: That's when we sleep.
2: Maya made it less scary with Canva.
1: <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime.
2: Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at Canva.com. Designed for work.
3: All right, should well, that thing that we do? Let's give our thumbs up, thumbs down review. Should our listeners check out "Uncover Escaping Nexium" by the CBC? I should mention. Uncover is the broader name for this podcast. I think what they're going to be doing is releasing a series of stories in the mm-hmm. same podcast feed. And this first one was called Escaping Nexium. Laura Bricker, thumbs up or thumbs down. Should our listeners check it out?
6: Oh, God. This is where I really want to bring back Thumbs Sideways. You see um, that every because, week,
3: Laura. Yeah, shut the fuck
4: up about that, Laura, I, already.
3: Commit, I know. Commit. Um, <laughs> did you just told Laura <laughs> to shut
6: the fuck <laughs> up. I did tell her to shut the yes, fuck up. I know. Well, horrible. because I don't, want to give it a, I don't want to give it a thumbs down because it was a good podcast, but I think I've just, I'm you kind of do jam- it, Roger we,
3: Ebert used to do and say thumbs slightly up. You can be, you can couch okay, it. I'm yeah.
6: thumbs, I'm thumbs slightly up
3: because you know,
6: I didn't love it. I didn't, you know, it was well done, but I just feel like we've listened to a lot of other cult podcasts and uh, I feel like after the Rajanishis and the Scientologists and the people with the purple sneakers getting sucked up by the comet, like, I feel like this one
3: was interesting, but it just, I, I maybe I'm just burned out on cults. I don't know. Tell me, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Uncover, Escaping, Nexium"?
5: I like the cult stuff. I thought this was good, so i give it a thumbs up.
3: Yeah, I liked it too. I thought it was dishy. I thought it was juicy. Uh, It was very Canadian, which I really appreciated. I love hearing Canadians telling stories. And so different for the CBC than other true crime-oriented podcasts that we've listened to them do. I mean, so different texturally than Connie Walker's podcast and then Someone Knows Something. I love the music. I love the mixing. Loved all that stuff, and um, it was dishy. It's not my strongest thumbs up, but it's definitely a thumbs up. What about you, Kevin?
4: Yeah, I'm a slightly thumbs up uh, with Laura. I think that it was uneven, and the middle kind of dragged a little bit. Um, The episode with the lawyer was interesting, but sort of out of texture for the whole series. Uh, I think they probably could have tightened it up. But the beginning was super compelling and I definitely wanted to stick it was so good I I wanted to stick around to the end to find out how things happen. I probably could have just Googled it and figured
3: it Do you like the Battlestar Galactic-esque theme song as much as I did? I didn't
4: think of it that way. But <laughs>
1: um.
3: All right, so Kevin, that was really something. What will we be listening to on the next Crime Writers On?
1: So on Monday's podcast, we're going to be looking at the latest season of Smokescreen. Oh boy. It's called Deadly Cure.
3: All right, that was a good one. I look forward to you all hearing it. On behalf of all the was crime... Was it a good one? Well, I'm saying our recording was a oh, good okay. one. Okay, all right, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Livy Burdette will be back again filling in for Laura Bricker.
3: And she's got a lot to say. So on behalf of all the crime writers, Kevin, thanks so much for listening. And we will catch you later. later.